This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 40 of the Stable Scoop Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network. Training with Julie Goodnight. We would like to thank our sponsor, Equestrian Collections. Equestrian Collections brings the whole universe of equestrian shopping to your fingertips. You can visit them at equestriancollections.com. Welcome to the Stable Scoop, with weekly shows delivered right to you. With Helena and Glenn the Geek, live from the stable, it's every week. They bring you the news through hail or high water, while using their tails as their own fly swatters. So sit on down and laugh till your poop, cause it's time again for Stable School. Stable School. Stable School. This is Glenn the Geek from Lexington, Kentucky. And I'm Helena B. from Boston's North Shore. And this is the Stable Scoop Radio Show. Well, hey, Helena, how are you? I'm, I'm hanging in there, Glenn. <laughs> I know. You had that kind of week last week. Is this one any? I haven't had a chance to talk to you before the show, so I don't know what's going on. You know what? I'm always, there's always something going on. Let, let me start off by saying um, I'm healthy, I'm happy, I'm employed. Um, my husband and daughter are healthy and happy. And employed. So really, yeah, <laughs> yeah, even the kid, we put her to work. <laughs> you know, so I, in the overall scheme of things, life is pretty good for me. Um, I'm just a little bit frustrated in my search for a new horse and a new house where I can keep said horse. Yeah, last um, week the architect was coming over. Yeah, the architect was coming over, um, but you know what? We have such a little postage stamp piece of land. We, I, it's really not worth it to spend the money to add on to our house when I can't keep my horses at home. Right. And I, I've learned. You know, I, this is the thing about being in horses that I, I love. One of the things that I love about it is that you learn so much about life and about yourself through jumping through the gazillion horse hoops that you have to jump through in order to be horsey. You know. Oh, horse um, owners. Us horse owners don't have to jump through any hoops. Yeah, we maybe you, maybe you, your horse owners, but no, this one does. We owned, as you know, we owned a farm with uh, like twenty some horses on it, and uh, there's just—I mean, it's it's your life. There's nothing else you can do. But I, there's nothing else I want to do, and right. you know, it's um, I'm I'm learning through doing rough board right now. I absolutely adore it. I love it, love it, love it. But the problem is that when you are keeping your animals on somebody else's property, you're always under their control. And if they decide that something needs to change, you know, what you've worked so hard to create can just come tumbling down in a, you know, a matter of days. And so over the last 10 years, that's been very frustrating for me to um, constantly adjust my plans, my horses to move my horse and all this stuff because somebody just keeps changing their mind. Right. You know, so I'm, I've learned that, it is the right thing for me to do to keep my horses at home. It, it's just the right thing. But it takes – I think you have to go through a lot of these trials and tribulations in order to know what is right for you. Yeah, because there's a lot of people that, that it's not right to have their horses at home. And then there's some that you're correct, that it, it's better to have your horses at home. So right. I, I think there's – I think you're right. It takes you some time after you get into the horse thing, especially if you come into it late. Um, you know, that it, it takes some time to determine whether that's the right thing for you or not. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, the disadvantages are to it. You just can't pack up and leave. But then you, you'd hardly ever leave anyway. It's so hard to get you out of the North Shore of Boston that uh, it gets tough. So. <laughs> Wait a minute. I got on a plane for the first time in 10 years. I know. It was great. And you know Where what? We I have go? a lot of farms down here. You could find farms down here, Helena. Oh, please. I said that to Peter last night. I said, <laughs> let's go. I, I could be 14 hours from the ocean. Let's just go. <laughs> yeah, you got ocean season coming up, too. Yeah. Which, well, Jen which, said, she goes, we have lakes and, and yeah, streams. Or, she said, you can get a farm with a big fountain in the backyard. Yeah, there you go. So I said, yeah, if you can fit a dolphin and a whale in that fountain, I'm there. I'll tell you what. I will buy you and Gracie a kiddie pool. <laughs> you have to put salt in it, though. Okay, salt we'll put water. salt water in it. That's fine. That works. That works. I mean, you know what, though? I say it's, it's you know, you live in the North Shore of Boston, and I say it's oceans, you know, it's beach season coming up. Well, you have one month of beach season that's actually warm, and that's August. It's true. And, and, and you got to, you know, you got to schedule your beach time around the greenheads and yes. the water temperature's like on a, okay, listen, people, up here, it's, this is crazy. 65 degrees is a warm water day oh that's that's the 15th of august every year yeah other yeah. than that it's like freezing so the next time you wonder why yankees are cranky that's why <laughs> we swim in 65 degree water <laughs> i was at fort lauderdale a couple of weeks ago on business and went to the ocean and the water is like 85 degrees it's like warmer than the air you know <laughs> it's like bath water but uh but it is it is nice i'll tell you what it is nice <laughs> Well, you know what? There's something. Speaking of water, uh, here's a good transition for you. I'm getting better at this after 100 episodes. Uh, <laughs> speaking of water, I wanted to mention something totally un, not horse related. But, you know, horse people are true adventurers. You wouldn't be a horse person if you didn't have some sense of adventure in your life. And, yeah, I wanted to mention somebody by the And I think we talked about her maybe at the beginning, very beginning of Stable Scoop. Is, her name is Roz Savage, and that's R-O-Z Savage. And you can find her website at rozsavage.com. Roz has, is an ocean rower. She actually lived in England and was a corporate executive doing the whole corporate office thing. And one day said, I can't do this anymore. And she quit work and she went to be a bum, basically, and said, I got to find something to do with my life that's meaningful. So she said, I'm going to row the Atlantic Ocean. That was a couple of years ago. And she did. She rowed the Atlantic Ocean from England to... Uh, I forget where she landed in the United States. Um, so she rode the Atlantic Ocean, and she did it as a fundraiser to save the oceans and for for environmental concerns. And then she decided that wasn't enough, and last year she set off to row the Pacific Ocean. And she wants to be the first woman ever to row the Pacific Ocean from from – she left from San Francisco, and she's rowing all the way to Australia. Wow. So – what she did the first part of it last year, and she rode from San Francisco to Hawaii. And the cool part is she did weekly podcasts with Leo Laporte on the Twit Network, and that I listened to the I listened to every one of those. It was so <laughs> fascinating. She had her she had her satellite phone, and she would call in, and he would record them, and he, she, he would, they would do podcasts like ours. And every week she would give updates of where she was and what she was going through, and. From the start to the finish, you could hear her emotions change. And some days, there would be 20-foot waves, so she couldn't row that day. And what she does in those days is she goes inside this little boat of hers. This, and you can see pictures of it on her website. And you could, she goes inside and straps herself down to the floor to her cot because you get thrown around like, you know, like a washing machine. Uh, and uh. there 
there would yeah, be I'm speechless. I know. And you would hear her talking on the satellite phone with the waves crashing against the side of the boat. Uh, it's just incredible. Just uh, I highly recommend. Obviously, you like to listen to podcasts. So you wouldn't listen to Helene and I. I highly recommend you check out rozsavage.com. She'll be starting she, in four days. She leaves from Hawaii to Australia, 4,400 miles, and she rows. There's no motor at all on this boat. It's oh oars. My oh, my God. Yeah. And the boat's really cool looking. It's yeah, so it is. geek. It's called the you know? the bur, bur, the, the bur, uh, <laughs> Starts with a B. <laughs> I can't remember the name of it. Uh, not the Barracuda, but something like that. And uh, The she, Brocade. The Brocade, that's right. And she's done a lot of repairs. What happened, too, last year on her voyage is she was a month out. She didn't tell anybody in the podcast because she didn't want her family to get concerned, is her water maker. She has a water maker that converts salt water to drinking water. It had broke uh, like a month and a half before she was getting to Hawaii. And what happened was she, the ballast on her boat is water bags. Oh, okay. And she uses that as emergency water, although she says after being, you know, in the boat for three months, it doesn't taste very good. Um, but she actually was starting to run out of the ballast water. Um, and she was afraid she was going to run out of water. And uh, so she put out a call to passing ships. And she she ended up finding these guys. I forget what it was, the, the junk it was called. These two guys who built a raft out of these... She, they built a raft out of these junk, out of junk, out of and and the bottom of the raft. What made it float was was uh, plastic milk jugs. They had like a thousand plastic milk jugs, and the top of it, where they slept, was and they took an old airplane fuselage, and they also rowed from. They were rowing at the same time. They ended up meeting in the middle of the ocean, and she got water and stuff from them. Uh, I, I'm going to be totally addicted to uh, this. this. Is, oh, this is the most fascinating thing. And I think, you know, as I said, our listeners love this kind of stuff. It's not horse related, but it's just, I mean, you just, you feel everything with her. And it's you just fascinating. What? You know what? I I think people, adventurous kind of people like this are are cool to begin with. But what gives me a little bit extra respect for Roz is that, and, and I, I feel sort of that kindred spirit with her because kind of like horses, the ocean is the one natural thing that I think has a mind of its own you know it's so unpredictable um just when you think you understand it and how to understand how to navigate it you you get humbled and that is something that we horse people have in common you know like like race car drivers and cyclists and stuff I go yeah yeah they're great but you know their machine doesn't have a mind of its own but in this case I think that she would understand the challenges. Oh, that you listen to her podcast from the ocean and you'll realize the ocean has a mind of its own. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> Haven't been caught in that ocean a couple of times. Yeah, against yeah it definitely. And, you know, it's just I just highly recommend it. And that's that's all we'll say on that. But uh, so what do we have planned for today? Um, I don't know. I'm clicking around Roz's website. You're going to get me <laughs> back in the show here. <laughs> we have um, I'm thrilled. Uh, to have with us today, one of the world's leading trainers. Julie Goodnight is going to talk with us today. Julie has a diverse background in training, uh, well, training in general, but dressage, jumping, racing, reining, cold starting, cutting, and wilderness riding, which I don't know much about, but I'm eager to talk to her about. She teaches horse owners around the world how to establish great relationships with their horses through her clinic tour, um, 
she is she also has something called Horsemaster with Julie Goodnight. That's a television show. And of course, she does the expo appearances all around the U.S. And uh, she's got DVDs and all kinds of good stuff. So she's out there spreading the word about um, successful training techniques. And uh, I'm hoping to have a nice, healthy conversation with her today. Well, there you go. Do you get RFD TV? Oh, my gosh, no. See, um, we don't either. We've never lived in a place where we get it. She actually, her show is called uh, Horse Master with Julie Goodnight, and it's on RFD TV, and it's apparently very popular and everything, but I've never seen it because I can't get it. Well, I don't, they, they say, you know, it appeared on my guide uh, a few months ago, and I got all excited because I saw Julie's name and all these other horse shows, and then I went to click on it and they said you need to subscribe to the premium service oh there you go i'm like since when since when did outdoor rfd tv become you know since when did horse tv become premium exactly (laughs) i said they have so got our number (laughs) so no the answer to your question is i don't get rfd tv okay Well, I wanted to mention, too, we're looking forward. We want to get right to Julie. We're going to spend most of the hour with Julie, but I did want to mention that we have some brand new items that are now up to register to win in our in our Stable Scoop giveaway this month. Uh, remember, you have to re-register every month to win, and Equestrian Collection has donated a Best Shot Equine MED Rain Rot box set, which includes the shampoo and the topical spray and the rain rot conditioner. And, uh, you know, it treats all of those skin afflictions, and apparently it's really good stuff. They've donated that, and we appreciate that. That's from equestriancollections.com, our friends over there. And we've donated a commercial on an episode of the Stable Scoop Radio Show. It could be for your business, farm, lessons, or whatever you like. Uh, so you can you can do whatever you want with that commercial, and we've donated that. Or you could just donate it to your favorite charity or horse rescue group for them to uh, advertise. So those are both available. Stop over to StableScoop.com. Follow the link on the right-hand side of the page for the giveaway. Sign up. It's free. It's easy. No obligation. Just go in there and sign up, and we'll give you stuff. <laughs> and one other quick announcement before we get to Julie is that we have a new show coming on, like we're not doing enough here at the Horse Radio Network. <laughs> we're happy to announce this week that the first episode of the Dressage Radio Show will be coming out. And everybody, I'm sure, will be happy to know that I am not hosting that. <laughs> I am a horse husband, wholly unqualified to host a dressage show. Uh, but it is being hosted by Chris Stafford, my co-host for the Eventing Radio Show and, a, and an equine journalist for 30 years. And Heather Blitz, who is a Grand Prix dressage rider out of Europe. I think she lives in Denmark. So that'll be at dressageradio.com, first episode this week. And they'll be speaking to all the big names in the dressage world. And also the USDF, the United States Dressage Federation, has agreed to carry that show. So we're, we're pleased that they're on board with that as well. So you can check that out later in the week at dressageradio.com. Welcome to the network. And now we're just going to spend a few minutes talking about our favorite equestrian store to buy all kinds of cool equine stuff. That's Equestrian Collections. And right after that, we'll be back with Julie Goodnight. Well, Helene and I can't recommend enough Equestrian Collections. They bring the whole universe of equestrian shopping to your fingertips. Every day, the site is calibrated to show you all the products that each major equestrian brand has available for you to buy. They know that riding and taking care of your horse takes up a lot of your time, so Equestrian Collections is open 24-7, and their advanced technology allows you to find exactly what you need on the website and to check out in as little as seven minutes. You know, Helena and I are both web designers, and we absolutely love Equestrian Collections. They've done a fantastic job with that website. 
They also have a Super Spring Specials e-catalog with thousands of savings from major brands. In these times, everyone can use some savings on, on what you buy, and Equestrian Collections is there to help. Just go to their homepage and click on the e-catalog link and choose the online coupon book. And just for our listeners, if you spend over $120, you can get an additional $10 off by using this coupon code at checkout, 10SPRING9. That's 10, the, the number's 10SPRING09. Visit Equestrian Collections at equestriancollections.com. They put the whole universe of equestrian shopping at your fingertips at a price you can afford. Helena and I highly recommend equestriancollections.com. Jilly Goodnight doesn't need much of an introduction. If you get RFD-TV, which we already know I don't. Or me <laughs> you <know>? either. <laughs> you know her from her award-winning television show, which airs weekly on RFD-TV, Horsemaster with Julie Goodnight. Through the show, Julie hopes to help all riders master their equestrian dreams and skills. As the Horsemaster, Julie shares the wisdom she's gained by reaching her master-level CHA status, which is Certified Horsemanship Association, and she encourages all horse people to become the leaders, masters of their horses um, that that their horses want and deserve. So um, she has a little bit of a unique approach. And um, I'm, I'm, let's get started and talk to Julie. So Julie, I'm sure that a lot of people in our audience have heard of you. But for those few who haven't, can you give us the Reader's Digest version of how you got into horses and uh, you know how do you started out in, in training and your business? Sure. Yeah, you bet. Well. I've been in the horse business all my life. I had the great fortune of growing up on a small private horse farm. And um, I showed heavily as a youth rider and went on. I worked my way through college riding on the racetrack because, as it turns out, that's a great college job because you've already put in a day's work by about 8.30 in the morning. Yeah, I was going to say, and if you don't like your bones. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> and... Um, so I went all the way through college not really planning to be in the horse business, and it was after I graduated from college that it was always the path of least resistance for me. So somebody right after I graduated from college offered me a job running a breeding and training barn, and um, after you know a few years of that, I realized that, what the heck, I may as well just be in the horse business since that seemed to be what I was doing. And, and that's about when I started working for myself. I realized early on that if I wanted to stay in the business without compromising what I believed in, then I pretty much had to work for myself. So I started my own business about 25 years ago. And, you know, like every trainer, I started out riding anything somebody would give me to ride and um, kind of worked my way up from there. Now I work uh, pretty much exclusively on the road doing clinics and expos and conferences and public speaking engagements and the like. And, uh, we live here in Colorado on a, our private horse farm where we just have our own horses here. My husband shows a little bit, and I tag along with him on that. And uh, so that's the Reader's Digest version. So what's he do? What He said he shows a little bit? Yes. he. Uh, we're involved with versatility ranch horse competition and a little bit of reined cow horse. And that's what we like to do for fun. And so he's actually in the ski business by profession, so he 
works really hard all winter. And, then, and that's why you live in Colorado. That's why we live in the, at 8,000 feet of altitude in the middle of the Colorado mountains. And, I have a uh, question for you. Speaking of this, it was not on our list at all, but does that you live at a high altitude? It, it obviously affects people. Does it affect horses too? Yes, it, it affects horses pretty much the same way it affects people, but acclimatization happens rapidly and declimatization happens rapidly as well. So, you know, when when people bring horses up to altitude, um, they, you know, need a few days to adjust and they'll be puffing and puffing. And, uh, you know, even our friends that come from Denver, which is uh, about 3,000 feet lower, their horses will, you know, take a few days to adjust to the altitude. So it's not like there's a pill they take for like, like, like humans do for the what happens when you what, what actually what's the change what do they have to acclimate the to change is you have to build more red blood cells so that you can carry more oxygen in your body and so the process of building red blood cells is what causes altitude sick the symptoms of, of altitude sickness um, are all a product of dehydration so as your body starts thickening the blood, you can easily become... De- and, of course, just being at this altitude is dehydrating anyway because it's very dry. And um, So that's the main process. So, and you know, of course, we don't have any way of knowing if horses get headaches and feel nauseous and all that stuff right, that right. people do. Um, but you can... The symptoms of being short of breath and that sort of thing, and they'll feel... They'll be kind of groggy and... and you know, not their top game, definitely, for a few days or a week or so. Huh. So what do you do that's different in keeping your horses in that kind of environment? What do you do that's different from uh, the rest of the world at lower altitudes in your general horse care? Well, you know, I get that question all the time. People say, well, what do you do with your horses in the winter? And um, the answer is we don't do anything special. Our horses are blanketed, but not because they need blankets to survive, but because it's entirely for our personal I was going to say it makes you feel better. <laughs> yeah. And we do have an indoor arena, and we ride indoors in the winter. And so the long hair coat is really difficult to manage. That's the um, – so they, you know, up here at altitude, you can find pastures full of horses all winter long that are standing knee-deep in snow and 20 below temperatures, and they survive just fine. Horses are incredibly adaptable animals. That's one reason they've been able to survive – over these thousands of years of of humans kind of taking over their their terrain and um they always seem to adapt and to a new home and find a new way of making themselves important you know i was in the tack business for a long time and it used to drive me and i I apologize to everybody in florida used to drive me crazy when the florida people used to order the heaviest blankets we've sold (laughs) you know they used to order the big thick you know blankets and i was going this is just ridiculous (laughs) (laughs) That is kind of funny. I grew up in Florida, and uh, of course, it's totally different there because it's a wintertime season, so that's the big season in Florida is in the winter. You don't even want to ride in the summer. Right, exactly. Right. I think back on, uh, you know, of course, I did ride all summer in boots and chaps and a helmet, and, uh, you know, and I sunstroke were symptoms that were very recognizable to me by the time I was 14. I'd probably had it three or four times already by then, just from, uh, you know, riding in that kind of weather and that kind of apparel. Mom would come out and find Julie passed out in the swamp again. (laughs) (laughs) And and suede full chaps. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, Julie, we, we introduced you earlier, and we said you had a diverse background in dressage and jumping and racing and raining and blah, blah, blah. 
Did you ever compete at any of those? Um, yes, I grew up riding on the hunter jumper circuit in Florida, and um, so that's um, that's what I did as a youth rider. A little bit of combined training. We're talking about uh, a few decades ago now, so. <laughs> Um, things were a little bit different back then. There were, dressage wasn't really a prevalent sport in and of itself. Dressage was a means of training horses to jump better or do better at whatever it is you're asking them to do. And it wasn't until, oh, probably I was in college that you started seeing more and more dressage shows. The only way you actually competed in dressage when I was a kid was um, to go to a, a three-day event and uh, as a part of that competition but um but yeah so i showed pretty heavily as um as a hunter jumper rider and then i had had about enough of that by the time i reached 18 wanted to do something different in fact i thought i was pretty burned out on the whole scene you know at 18 you're kind of at that age of idealism and yeah Almost like I opened my eyes one day and saw what was going on behind the scenes and the showing of horses. And again, this was, you know, 25, 30 years ago or more. And uh, and not much has changed when you really well, get it a was, little bit. Things has. were there was there was blatant drugging of horses. Yeah, back then that's true. That um, we have since gotten stricter on. Not I'm not naive enough to believe it doesn't happen today. But, right. But back then, nobody even hit it, you know. I mean, you can walk down any barn aisle and see syringes laying there. And, um, you know, so that that was a lot of my disillusionment, just kind of looking looking around and saying, you know, what are we doing to these horses? And so I got kind of burned out, and I wanted to do some. I thought I was going to not do horses at all. That only lasted a couple of months before somebody, <laughs> <laughs> before a horse was came my way. And, um so then the racetrack was kind of a nice diversion for me because it was just a totally different scene. And um, that's probably an understatement. <laughs> you know, the speedy yeah. world of the racetrack. There was no drugs back there. There was no drugs used there either. Yeah, right. It was, <laughs> that was a whole different kind of education for me. And after college, I that's when I really wanted to pursue a different path. And that's when I really started doing a lot of Western stuff and, and getting into Western performance. And But, it's um, a, you know, it's interesting that you talk about that, though, because you talked about you really had sort of a classical training in, in dressage and show jumping, and then you went into you went into riding racehorses, and, I, you know, right there you really learned, you learned to stay on a horse no matter what. Um, yes, and um, the, they love... They love the hunter-jumper riders at the racetrack because you already have the balance. And uh, the other thing that is great is coming out of the starting gate is a lot like going over a jump. It, it would be uh. almost as if you were jumping from a standstill. And so, oh. um, you know, to have riders that aren't going to get in the horse's mouths as they come out of the gate was a nice thing and, and the balance but it's it's definitely a different style of riding and the, it's it's a different business because then the show slash recreational world you know the racehorse is truly industry is business right <laughs> big yeah. business and 
So the perspective is different and the goals and the motivations are different and all of that. But I loved riding the racehorses and I have never been as fit in my life as when I was galloping those racehorses. <laughs> yeah, well, you have to be, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, it's you're broke. like being on a rowing machine. <laughs> Plus, it doesn't pay anything you're broke and you pretty much eat macaroni and cheese out of the box every day. <laughs> I, mean... <laughs> I remember I got paid $4 a ride, which... Um, which wasn't bad because I could ride 10 horses in a morning, so I could make $40 a day, okay. which uh, wasn't too bad, you know, 25, 30 years ago. <laughs> so what are the things or events that led you toward natural horsemanship and what you do today? I have to say that um, probably my childhood did, you know, just growing up with horses, and I did not know at the time that I was learning, you know, when I was a kid and had a tree house out in the horse pasture and I spent, you know, days on end and I was a very introverted child and preferred to just play by myself. And, uh, I just hung out in my tree house in the middle of the horse pasture with the horses. And, um, so I learned so much as a youngster about behavior. Well, after my son was born and he started going to the barn with me every day, I recognized in him what I had learned as he was, you know, he was around horses from the time he was two weeks old. So by the time he was four or five, he could look at any horse on the place and tell you if that horse was uh, upset or angry or acting out some emotion. You know, he he already had a sense of horse behavior um, that exceeded a lot of adults and just from simple observation. So I kind of grew up in that way and I I have learned from absolutely as many sources as possible in my career and still do today. So I can't really pinpoint any one person, but I never I never had the opportunity to work with any famous um uh, you know clinicians or anything like we know of today. Um I just kind of was attracted. Uh, I learned a lot, sort of anecdotally, about horse behavior as I was growing up, and I used what I knew to train. Uh, nobody ever taught me how to train horses. I just had to do what came naturally to me. And um, next thing I knew, I was a natural horsemanship clinician. <laughs> so um, it just kind of evolved in its own way. And I the study of horse behavior is actually my true passion in this business. And I'm most known at this time for uh, being a person that teaches people to ride better. But horse, the study of horse behavior, which is the basis of natural horsemanship, is uh, is really my true passion in the sport. So um, I've had a big focus in that study and research. And um, I think it's important to look at the scientific work that's out there that helps us understand behavior and then put it together with your experience with hundreds and thousands of different horses. So that's kind of how I got on my own path there. Well, that that path has led you to um, Certified Horsemanship Association, CHA. You're the international spokesperson for them. Tell us how that organization has changed horsemanship in recent in recent years and why you chose to align yourself with that organization in particular. Well, I first found out about CHA about 15 years ago, and I felt the need to have some credentials and become certified as an instructor. And I looked into there, – there's 
two main organizations that certify instructors in the U.S., and that one is the American Riding Instructors um, Association, and the other is Certified Horsemanship. And they're both very good organizations, but their certification processes are quite different. Um, uh, CHA has a hands-on testing where you everybody comes to one location, and uh, well, there's locations all over the U.S. and Canada, but you come, ten people come together for one clinic over five days, and you know, 40 lessons are taught during that five days and evaluated, and it's so it's a real hands-on process, and I mm-hmm. I liked that, and so I found a clinic that I could attend, and I went, and I got certified. And the other nice thing about their pro- program is you leave there with your certification, so you don't have to wait to go before a you know approval board or anything like that. So um, I went. I wasn't really planning to become involved in the organization. My intention was just to get the certificate and leave and never have anything to do with them again. <laughs> but I was uh, I was very drawn. I had been uh, in the, in the business for a long time and was very experienced when I went to get my certification and I got the highest level of certification that they offer, which was great. But I also, during that five days learned so much and I, the things you, things that I learned were just really important um, about standards and protocols. And um, part of, part of what I learned that was important was just learning that I, I was doing things the right way. And, you know, and then in some instances I learned that maybe I could be doing things better (laughs) And right. the, the the focus of CHA is on safety, and you you go for five days, and everybody there, all twelve people there, are focused on safety issues around horses. You come away from it with a really different outlook. And um, so, and one of the instructors of that clinic I went to was an older woman who happened to be president of the organization, and she had that wisdom of the years. Uh, she was probably well into her 60s um, at that time and I just really admired that wisdom and and so part of it was her she kind of drew me into the organization and um, the next thing I knew I was working for them <laughs> and uh, so I worked for the organization for a number of years until I just couldn't manage it in my schedule and that's when I became spokesperson so I enjoy representing the organization, and I still do one or two certification clinics a year to try to keep, you know, kind of keep my feet wet in that a little bit. Who do you recommend to go do that? Who is the candidate to 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 do that? Well, anyone who is either already teaching lessons, rather it's whether it's on a casual basis or a professional basis, um, or anyone who thinks they want to start teaching lessons and or um, a lot of times we get people whether it be a 4-H leader who may not really think of themselves as an instructor but they are in a position to be supervising and teaching you know groups of riders and uh, also a lot of times it's just people who own horses and um, have a lot of friends that come over to ride and just find themselves in a position to be helping others a lot um, sometimes those people really benefit from the structure and the foundation that they'll pick up. We have a, a, a student horsemanship manual that's really good and helps you become a better teacher and then just, you know, resources on 
how to organize a lesson plan and traffic control in the arena and on the trail and just, you know, all different kinds of beneficial things. So we have a, a lot of young people that are just uh, just getting started looking for that career. Um, and I, a lot of them are like I was when I was that age where people are just saying, please, can you help me with this? You know, if they've gotten gotten to be a pretty good hand with horses, you know, people start asking them for help. And uh, pretty soon they find themselves in a position to be teaching. And so uh, all of those types of people can benefit. Great. Well, you know what? You're you're one of the very few worldwide trainers uh, th- that has really been successful, and as, but you've managed to bridge a gap between the English and the Western worlds. Yeah. And you know, what do you think? Why do you think you've been so successful at that number one? And do you think that that gap is narrowing now that there's not such a divide there anymore, or is it getting worse? I think it's getting better. I think there will always be a somewhat of a divide we as horse people have this overwhelming need to segment everything and yeah. say well <laughs> and you know i can't just be a trainer and a clinician i have to be a natural horsemanship trainer or, or this or that and um i i have uh there's two reasons why i have a broad-based appeal one is just a simple business decision i made a long time ago that the more you the horse business is like any other business in the world. It's a matter of numbers and volume. And so the more volume that you have, the more money you're going to make. And so if you start segmenting yourself too much and, and getting in these little niche markets, the volume goes down. So I can, for instance, if if I'm going to do 20 clinics in a year, I could say, oh, well, let's make five of them jumping clinics. But the number of people that would sign up for a jumping clinic versus people that would sign up for a general horsemanship clinic, those are pretty big differences in numbers. So I just made that decision business-wise a long time ago that I, I didn't want to exclude any facet of the market. I wanted to try to reach as many corners as possible. And, of course, natural horsemanship works really well in that regard because all horses of all breeds, types, disciplines are going to respond. So it's not really a, you know, it it appeals to everyone or it should appeal to everyone. But um, the other thing is in the, just the simple way that I teach when it comes to riding, um, all of my clinics have both English and Western riders in them. They're pretty much doing the exact same things, but becoming a better rider is about balance. Number one, about moving rhythmically with the horse, and about using your natural aids to communicate and control the horse better. And none of that changes with breed or saddle or clothing or, you know, those types of things. That, right. that is the same over all disciplines of riding. Those are the common denominators. Sure. It's a balanced sport. And, yeah, one, one saddle may be easier to balance in than another saddle, but the components are good, of good balance are the same no matter what you do so um and and you everybody's got their seat legs and hands to cue the horse and the cues between english and western horses are pretty much the same the only differences are differences in style and um does the horse stop fast and abruptly or does he stop smoothly and moving forward through the stop you know those are style differences and, and nothing else so um so really, there's way more in common 
between the disciplines, then there are differences. So I really teach to those common denominators, exactly. Sounds like you had a little bit of Sally Swift in the background there, too. A lot, and I'm, you know, very sorry to say I never had an opportunity to do a clinic with her, although it was on my, you know, top ten list. Um, Obviously, I didn't get it done in time. (laughs) It was on your bucket list, huh? Yeah, yeah. So, Julie, one of the things that you you speak and write a lot about um, with horses is being a kind leader. Can you tell us what you mean by that? Well, sure. Leadership is something horses crave, and there's a number of ways to think about it. Um, There's a hierarchy in any herd of horses. We all know that as the pecking order. The behaviorists know it as a linear hierarchy. And at the top of that hierarchy is the alpha individual or the leader of the herd. And the leader of the herd is the one that's responsible for protecting the herd, for motivating the herd to flight if flight should become necessary, for watching out for danger, for leading the herd to food and water. Um, The leader of the herd has the responsibility of making sure that the herd is safe and comfortable. And those are the two things that horses want most in life is safety and comfort. Because they're prey animals, and um, it's hard for us to realize, but prey animals worry about being eaten. Um, That's pretty much what their existence is, is worried about what's around the corner that, that might cause them harm. And so in the presence of a strong leader, the horse does not have to worry. The horse does not have to make decisions, um, and the horse feels taken safe and comfortable. He feels taken care of. And so that's what horses crave. And one of the biggest mistakes that people coming new into horses make is that they think that the best thing to do is try to befriend the horse and pamper the horse and baby the horse and bribe the horse. And um, none of those things demonstrate leadership to the horse. So he will never feel safe and comfortable in your presence. Um, And he may even feel like there's... There's never a void of leadership in a horse herd. If if the leader is struck dead by lightning right now, another horse immediately takes over as leader to protect the herd. So if you're not presenting yourself as a leader to the horse, then the horse feels the need to take over and start making decisions. And, you know, depending, the decisions are probably not going to be exactly the way you would have made them. And depending on how your horse is tempered, they may not be too great for you at all. So... The ideal relationship that you want to have with the horse is the one where he looks up to you as the ultimate herd leader who will watch out for his safety and protection and and see to his comfort. And if you can demonstrate yourself that way to the horse, he'll worship the ground you walk on, and he'll be mellow and quiet and relaxed and happy because he doesn't have to worry and he doesn't have to think, and he doesn't have to make decisions. So what good horsemanship about is about, and a lot, a lot of what my videos are about, and a lot of what my clinics are about, is how do you present yourself to your horse in that way? And well, don't you have to believe it first? I mean, you, that seems to be the biggest challenge, is believing, believing it and then demonstrating it. Absolutely, and I start every clinic I do with about an hour and a half talk on horse behavior so that people can understand 
what's life like from the horse's point of view, it doesn't matter what we as humans think because horses don't understand human behavior. We barely understand human behavior. (laughs) So they'll never understand it. And they can only see the world through the lens of horse behavior. So I I have pretty good success. Last, Last weekend I had a clinic in Pennsylvania and um, there was two people in the clinic. One was an older man, and he had a great horse. It was just this perfect old quarter horse gelding, just do anything, you know, mellow fellow. And he, he and this guy had a really good thing going. But George babied his. He didn't baby his horse too much, but it was the his pet horse, you know. So it got treats and all that kind of stuff. And he finally raised his hand and said, "You know, I got to tell you, you just totally burst my bubble." <laughs> and uh you know i was talking about the 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 issue of hand feeding treats to horses which is a real trouble spot because one way horses establish dominance in the herd is by taking away food from other horses and if i can take away the food from you i'm dominant over you and that's a, a real everyone knows that watch any group of horses eat and you'll figure out the pecking order right away well that's true of almost any animal i think yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and so when you start hand feeding treats to horse and the horse comes to believe he's making you feed him the treat which he is because he's mm-hmm. differing to you he's you're trained you <laughs> yeah. yeah or when he's sticking yeah. his prehensile lips in your pockets yeah. and so that's yeah. what was uh that's how i bursted george's bubble was when i said you know when you walk in the barn and your horse knickers to you the knicker is one of four audible communications that a horse makes that uh has a, and they all four have very specific meanings and the knicker means come to me and so what he's doing is saying, come to me and bring me the food. I know you have it. And so what I told him was, come to you, come to me. The knicker does not mean I love you. <laughs> <laughs> so he was very Let's disappointed just live to hear that. <laughs> and a lot of times people, you know, they want to keep on believing what they had convinced themselves. But in the light of scientific fact, and then when you can put that fact together with what you already have experienced with horses, um, then it becomes pretty clear. And sometimes people are drug resistantly into that, but uh, the the great thing is that once they realize the way it is is the way it is, and then how much superior a relationship we can have with the horse through that understanding, um, then then people, I'd say 99% of people will will accept it. Yeah. I, know, I know. It sounds I, like a good life, actually. I need a kind leader, so I don't have to think <laughs> about anything, yeah, worry about anything. That's what, uh, <laughs> that's what I tell people all the time, you know, like how when you're, when you were a kid and you were sick and your mom fluffed up your pillows and she made tomato soup and cheese toast and everybody likes to feel taken care of. Yeah. And uh, but horses especially, they they the, any stress that can be eliminated from their lives, they appreciate it. But it has to be, it can only be eliminated through the presence of good leadership. Now, is it true then that I've I've heard or read that mares are often um, will act as the sentinels of a herd. Um, the, the stallions will come in, and this is in the wild. The stallions will will do their thing in terms of um, reproduction and, and claiming rights to the herd. But is it true that the mare is actually the the uh, the hardworking one? Yes, it is. Um, in in a broodmare band, there, in the wild, there are two types of herd. There, there's no situation in nature where a horse lives independently. He his survival is dependent on being in a herd, being accepted into a herd. 
and there are two types of herds in the wild, and one is called a broodmare band, and the other is called a bachelor band. And the broodmare bands consist of one or more breeding stallions and any number of mares that they might possess and the young offspring. But when the uh, young male offspring comes of breeding age, they'll generally be banished from the herd by the breeding stallion because he doesn't want the competition. Uh, interestingly, he'll let some colts stay and become breeding stallions within the herd if it's big enough. But most of the colts get banished, and then they wander off and whinny, and that's uh, the second of audible communications a horse makes. And the whinny, and the whinny is a social call, and it means either where are my friends or is anyone out there willing to be my friend. And so he whinnies until somebody answers him, and then he hooks up with a bachelor herd. And the bachelor herds are all male horses who, for whatever reason, can't get their own mares. And, you know, I who knows why. Maybe they're not good-looking enough. They don't have a good job. They don't drive a nice car. <laughs> uh, well, for whatever reason, they don't have any mares. So they, they hook up in the bachelor herds. And obviously in the bachelor herd the alpha individual is going to be a male. But in the broodmare bands, it's almost always a mare. And that does surprise a lot of people because we're kind of accustomed to hearing the term alpha male. Mm. Um, but the the difference in the broodmare band is the stallion, the breeding stallion is really concerned with one thing and one thing only. And his concern is not so much the day-to-day -day operation and functioning of the herd but or even watching for predators, although he'll assist with that. What he's mainly watching for is other stallions trying to steal his mares. And so that's kind of what his life is consumed with. And so the mare, the alpha mare, and the you know slang term we've all heard a lot is boss mare, uh, the boss mare, she's the one responsible for maintaining discipline in the herd and um, leading the herd to food and water. And, um, so it's really, she's really the alpha. She's the one in charge. And, and, and in general, ma uh, mares will often be a little more domineering than, than male horses will. Mm. It, it doesn't, it's, it makes sense. I mean, from an, uh, evolutionary standpoint it's by the way that all sounds good to me too so <laughs> <laughs> well, i mean i'm thinking who's the alpha mare in my family you know? <laughs> well you know i mean you could draw all kinds of interesting parallels between human society yeah. and and um you know even though it may be a patriarchal society who's the one running everything it's it's the mama you know that she's yeah. the one that's making sure Everybody has food and is dressed and, you know, is going to soccer or doing whatever they're supposed to do. So, And winnies and knickers. And, and, I, know, and I, know your husband, I know your husband. I know you, Helena. I know who runs that household. It ain't the guy. Well, you know, we're social animals. Humans are social animals. Horses are social animals. It's, you can draw all kinds of parallels. It's, yeah. You have, to. you have to be careful there because, of course, then we're treading into – uh, dangerous waters right. with starting to become anthropomorphic around horses and, right. and giving yeah. them characteristics they don't have. And, you know, the hardest thing for people is to think as simplistically as a horse does. And we, our brain gets in the way and causes the most problems because we overthink things and we instill constantly give credit to horses for 
um, ways of thinking that they're not really capable of because they think so simplistically. And, and uh, you know, I was just recently telling somebody, I, I just must have a really simple mind because I don't have much trouble with that. But, um, but even I, after a lifetime of being with horses, I'll catch myself sometimes thinking in ways that um, really horses aren't capable of thinking. So I have to be careful about that. Well, you know what? Uh, we we remember when we started this conversation. We said oh, we get carried away and we get talking, and we we're plain running out of time already. We do have a couple questions though for you about uh, about your business. And you, are you still doing new shows on uh, RFD TV? Yes, we uh, we film new shows four times a year. We travel around the country. Uh, we're getting ready to. We've already filmed in um, Arizona and South Carolina this year. We're getting ready to head to Oregon in a few weeks. We film six episodes in three days, and oh wow, with six different horse rider pairs, and trying to work on issues that they might have, and uh, how or how they can just do better at what they do, and. Um, so that's been a lot of fun, and we try to travel around the country so we can really expose ourselves to a lot of different types of horsemanship and horses and people and all of that. So Now, is there any way, see, Helena and I both live in areas where I live in freaking Lexington, Kentucky, and don't get RFD TV. <laughs> so, you know, is there a way to watch your shows online? or? Well, unfortunately, we're not allowed to air the entire show online, but we do have uh, clips of all the shows on YouTube, and I have my own YouTube channel, so if you just go to YouTube and search Julie Goodnight, or I think it's just YouTube.com slash Julie Goodnight, and uh, we have clips from all the shows, and we try to uh, put as much content up there as we can without getting in trouble from the network, so... (laughs) Um, and a lot of cable companies are starting to pick up RFD and Comcast, Time Warner both have signed agreements with RFD. So sometimes it's just a matter of prodding your local cable provider to make sure they will pick it up when they can. Yeah, you would think here in Lexington, the, what the horse capital of the world, we would yeah. at least get RFD TV, you know? <laughs> I, yeah, I told you, Glenn, they got your number. They got my number. It's here. Pay us $50 extra a month, and we'll give you the one channel that you've subscribed to yeah. cable for. Yeah. Um, I, well, the other thing I wanted to ask you, we all the time get questions, especially from young people, and you're, you, you seem to have done this so well. You grew up having a horsey background, but let's face it, you have done a terrific job at marketing and business. Where did the where did you learn that side of it, or was that self-taught also? Well, um, one thing is I went to college, and I think that, you know, no matter what, a college degree is going to help you. You know, I took business courses in college. In hindsight, I wish I had, you know, gotten a degree in business because that would have helped me more than anything else. And maybe but, paid a little more attention. Yeah. Yeah, we yeah, all that wish that, helped. don't we? Did my well, homework. That was you, yeah. Glenn. That was you. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, my father's a businessman, so that helped too, growing up in, in that kind of environment. But um, I think that the, one of the biggest downfalls of people trying to get into this profession is they fall down on, on simple business skills. And I mean simple, like returning phone calls. Uh, get a website. There's a news flash, you know. 
Helena yeah. designs websites for horse people, so thank you very yeah, much. Yeah, well, you know, the problem is they're too busy out in the arena riding right. horses to, to conduct business. And so, not, and, and the horse business is, is like any other business. The principles of business apply. So that's important. The marketing, I worked hard on, I've always enjoyed marketing, studied a little bit about it on my own, and, uh, you know, a lot of trial and error. Fortunately, I'm in a position now where, I have um, people that work for me that are marketing professionals that do an incredible job, and um, they're young and substantially younger than I am, so they're doing all the internet stuff, and you know they got me blogging and Facebook and Twittering and all that kind of stuff, so um, that most people my age don't even know about. <laughs> so. That helps too. Having, having, and, and you know what's funny about that though is the reason you're talking to me today is because we followed each other on Twitter. Yeah, and we uh-huh. we had our first conversation on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and but that's the one thing that the new technology is allowing us us to do and you to do is to be in more direct contact that we never had before. With in our case, with our listeners, in your case, with with uh, your students and things. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's a, it's a new day and age, and we have to keep up with it. And um, So it's been fun. It's been a real education for me. And I, I, think you, I think you missed something, and you're probably being a little bit humble. And that, and that ties into what you talked about earlier, and it ties into all of us, actually, that, that have, have done things successfully, is, is a ton of hard work. We don't work 40 hours a week. Yeah, no. And therein is the problem with the horse business. It's a, <laughs> you know, it, it's pretty much a 24/7 occupation and um, and a lot of people don't don't willing aren't willing to work that hard and it's one reason why I went into business for myself early on because if I'm going to put in those kinds of hours I want to uh, be doing it my way and and um, you know be the one that's benefiting from it so but yeah it's, it's it's a lot of hard work but any any entrepreneurial business is that way If you you own your own business, you're, you know, there, you're married to it, basically. And if you're the type of person who invests a lot of themselves into a job well done, you know, think about going into your own business because it's, um, Mm -hmm. it's like I, like you, you do, some people work just to get by and other people are really invested in the work for the work's sake. And, um, Mm -hmm. you just find that you, you reap the rewards and it's just a better life. Yeah, and that's that's true. If you're working that hard for someone else, you may want to think about it. But not everybody's cut out to be a business for themselves. That's for sure, because it, it does take a lot of discipline. And um, but if you have those workaholic tendencies, <laughs> if you're going to be a workaholic, <laughs> right? Exactly. You may as well have your own business. <laughs> By the way, your son called me the other day and said, "Come home now." Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Julie. Well, I know that's not true. <laughs> He calls me about twice a year. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Julie, we appreciate you being on, and thank you so much. There's so much more we wanted to get into, but we've plain run out of time. Well, we'll do it again sometime. All right, thanks, Julie. Well, that was great. You know, I spoke to her, I think, for the first time yesterday. We'd been conversing by email and Twitter, actually. (laughs) So, And I really did meet her on Twitter. I noticed that she followed Horse Radio one day, and I, I said, well, let's get Julie on. And so I Twittered her back, and that's how we got in touch with each other. So it's amazing what technology will do, you know? I, I'm still on the Twitter learning curve. I, I just got Facebook down, and now, I, you know, which is funny because I'm such a geek. I, I, for I some reason, <laughs> Twitter. 
Twitter has represented one of the, the, the biggest learning curves in my life. Well, you know, we set up another show. We have a show coming up in June that is I'm calling The Horse's Mouth. And it's actually about the horse's mouth. We have one of the top. You don't even know about this yet. We have no, one of the, hello. <laughs> we have one of the top dentists in the country who travels the country doing dentist horse dentistry, and he's also really big into new technology. And he's big on Twitter. He's there's like hundreds and hundreds of people that follow this dentist, and he talks about his adventures. Apparently, this a good uh, you know good old boy. Yeah. And then uh, we have him coming on, and then we have uh, somebody from. I think Mr. Mylar, actually from Mylar Bits, coming on to talk about bits and bidding and what's proper and what's not. And I just thought that the two really go together because, you know, if you're if you're doing proper bidding, you better have the teeth done right. So it, who's doing that show with you? Are you doing it by yourself or you have a co-host? What's that? Are you doing that show by yourself or do you have a co-host? Yeah, you're my co-host. It's on the Stable Scoop show. Oh, for Stable Scoop. Yes. Wait a minute. Not the horse's <laughs> mouth. Wait a minute. Hold on. No, no, no. We're calling the Stable Scoop episode the horse's mouth. Oh, gotcha. oh you so, see how dense I am? Okay, okay. <laughs> it's, it's our show, Helena. So they're coming on here in June, one of the episodes. I, I am so. so excited because I love Mr. Myler. Well, yeah, and the, uh, so we're going to get them on, and we're going to talk to both of them, and I think that'll be a fun show, too. All set up, by the way, through Chris uh, at Equestrian Collections, uh, the owner of Equestrian Collections, on Twitter. She knew the horse dentist from Twitter, and she actually had set up the whole the whole uh, uh, Mylar thing for us through Twitter as well. So, <laughs> Okay, and this this is when? When is the show uh, It's in up? June. I'm not sure the exact date, but I think it's like June 3rd. Okay, right? yep. So, so that's yep. coming up. Oh, my gosh, I'm excited. Yeah, there you go. We have a lot of fun shows coming up. Some of it I can't commit to yet because we don't have them absolutely nailed down. But, you know, Julie Goodnight and, you know, she was today. And we just have a lot of really cool people coming up. Um, some authors coming up with some new books that are coming out that are fascinating. And I'm just excited about the various things that the nice thing about the stable scoop show right now, I'm going to talk about the other shows that we do. Those shows are so specialized that we're limited to what we can do. You and I, we can talk about anything, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's, what's so cool about this show is it opens up the whole world of horses to us. Um, and, and that's, what's so neat about it. Yeah, it's it's so many things to so many different people, and we get to touch on all – well, if we could, we could touch on all of those different things. You know, it's like some people are do want to keep horses at pets. Some people want to compete at the highest levels possible, or some people just want to, you know, trail ride across Europe. And we get to – Explore. We've had all those people on, you know. Right. We get to explore all of that from you know our cushy office chairs. You're right, exactly. You know, and and the nice thing is we don't have to know about that stuff, and in most cases we don't. Uh, but we get to learn it with everybody else, and that's one of the most fun parts about this job is we're learning as we go too. Yeah. Uh, so that's really cool. So again, thanks to Julie for being on, and you know she does have a busy schedule, and she was she was kind enough to join us today, and I appreciate that. On the eventing radio show this week, Helena, we spoke with Mark Hart, who's chairman of the USEF High Performance Event Owners Task Force. Um, and they're, they're the group that is really trying to get event owners coming together and to get more people into the sport that have money that can, to, that can actually become owners. So they're trying to make that a more attractive track attractive thing and then the other thing you'll find fascinating we'll send you a link to it and i'll put it in the show notes for everybody is we had harriet harrison on who is the announcer at uh radio badminton during the badminton three-day event over there in england Mm -hmm. but she was talking to us about something they use for the first time there and that's the 0.2 inflatable air jacket 
about 20 of the riders were wearing this. You put it on over your normal safety vest, your normal yeah. you know, body protector. Yeah. And what it is, is it looks like a deflated um, air, air jacket or, or something you'd wear in the water. Mm-hmm. What it has is a CO2 canister in it, and it, they've de- developed a mechanism now that it has a string, a cord that attaches to your D-ring in your saddle. And if you become unhooked from the horse and fall off, the string breaks away from the, the starter pin in the air jacket and inflates it. And it becomes like an airbag. And it has bags on the front and bags on, your, uh, on the back of your neck and bags on, the, on your back and your lower back and your lower spine. So by the time you hit the ground, it inflates in half a second. By the time you hit the ground, the airbags have inflated and you hit the airbags instead of your chest and your back. Uh, and it helps prevent whiplash, and it is the coolest thing. You watch the videos on this site, and you, they have all these pictures of people falling off, and it is the coolest thing. It's become very, very popular in Europe with motorcycle riders and also with regular riders and, and especially jockeys. I'm, I'm stunned. I'm stunned that this can – can we put the link on our website? Yeah, we'll put the link this? on our website, and there's a video, too, I'll put up there. You, you have to watch the video. It is just – it is the coolest thing, and it's not in America yet, partly because we were talking to Harriet, who knows the people, and she said they just can't make enough of them. They're, they're having, they don't want to bring it to America until they can get the production down. But one of the nice things is it's done by a CO2 canister, and to, to start over, the air just, after about five seconds, it starts deflating. And then all you do is unscrew the, the canister, put a new one in, and you're ready to go again. And we're okay. All right. So it is just the coolest thing. And, you know, I can see where that would help protect from that whiplash effect and and you'll be breaking less ribs and, you know, just it won't protect your arms because it doesn't cover your arms. But for your chest and your back and your neck. Right. The critical shoulders, because everybody's always doing their shoulders. Um, It'd be nice if they could have that feature inside a helmet. It would be nice if they could build this feature now. Next step would be build this feature into a regular uh, safety vest. Right. It's not approved. You can't use this in place of your safety vest, and you probably don't want to because your safety vest will help protect you from getting stepped on and things like that. This won't help you there. But if they could actually develop it that it's built into a normal, regular safety vest, then you have the truly unbelievable product. Um, this is really good. Now, I have a funny story to tell you. Okay. <laughs> she was saying that there were a lot of riders, about 20 of them, including uh, including Clayton Fredericks, Lucinda's husband. Yeah. It's Lucinda won Rolex here this, a couple weeks ago. And Clayton's obviously won a lot of different. They won almost everything. Well, Clayton was wearing it. And the one thing you have to remember is when you get off your horse at the end of cross country, you have to detach yourself from the saddle. He jumped off and... Pfft, <laughs> and apparently this was on tv and <laughs> everybody just cracked up uh so you do have to remember to detach yourself when you hop off the saddle or, or you will be inflating your airbag uh, and i said you can see it now you hop off the saddle your airbag inflates scares the horse the horse takes off into the road you know <laughs> so apparently that was like the highlight of uh the the news <laughs> is the best that's like riding with bubble wrap this is so fabulous it, obviously they'll refine it so that it's you know a and little you know bit anybody if you know if you know clayton 
he is such a character. He's just a character. And it couldn't have happened to somebody better because I'm sure he just laughed too. You know, it's just funny. They're both like, they both have such good sense of humor yes. and, and positive <laughs> attitudes. You're right. Per- the perfect person to test these things out. <laughs> so you have to check that out. It's worth checking out. And then the 2010 radio show, we had a great time speaking to Rebecca Hart, who's a para dressage rider. And she was the 2008 national championship for the United States. And last weekend now became the 2009 national champion. So we had her on. She was a lot of fun. She's a sweetheart. She's just lovely. And then she was also the highest-placed United States rider in Hong Kong Olympics in 2008. She came in fourth. And then we had her coach on, Missy Ranshausen, who is the para-equestrian team coach for the United States and also is, a, is an international eventer in her, herself. And her mom is a very famous uh, dressage rider, Jessica Ranshausen. So she was on as well. And so it was a great show. Samantha did a great job. She's really getting into her role now as co-host. So that was a lot of fun. And we have a ton more cool stuff coming up for you in the weeks to come. We'll be, as I said, we'll be talking about horses' mouths. And next week, we're going to spend some time talking about a new DVD that's out, uh, about talking about buying a new horse and what to look for and how to do it right. So, So we're looking forward to that as well. I can tell you how not to do it. <laughs> I know you've had such a tough time. Uh, no, you've done it right so far, and that's the reason that you, you know, you did what you did and didn't get this latest one is because you did do it right. Yeah. So that you know, it, it's not any less disappointing after you get through a vet check and discover that there's something there that you don't want to deal with. But but that's you did true. it right. I mean, you discovered that. So I'd rather do the shopping part right than do the own, you know, than do the owning part wrong because then you get. Right. You, then, then you're stuck. Well, you know, the cheapest part's still buying the horse. So it's so the cheapest part. <laughs> it is so the cheapest part. Well, you can check out our show notes at stablescoop.com, and you can leave us feedback there. You can uh, just click the contact button at the top of the page and send us a email or a voicemail. You know, we've been getting a lot more emails lately, and it's so nice to hear from our, our listeners. Uh, and you also, we'd like to thank our sponsor, you know, Equestrian Collections. Chris has been so helpful in so many things. And they, I, we just, Helena and I, can't encourage you enough to go to Equestrian Collections. If you haven't been there, if you're looking at buying anything in the horse world, go there first. Check them out. Give them a shot. You're going to love them. So that's at equestriancollections.com. Well, Helena, I don't know about you, but this has been an absolute blast today. I, one of the best shows we've done so far, definitely. I, you know, I just loved it, and, and it's so nice talking to you every week, and we'll see you again next week. And we'll be back with a new scoop. 